there's lots coming up, and uh, be praying about Gatan and Wasani coming. And uh, I know many of you know Gatan and Wasani. Many of you have not had the pleasure of meeting them, and uh, they'll be here the first part of April. And so, uh, just be in prayer. <clears throat> uh, they're from Ethiopia, and uh, Gatana was persecuted for his faith, and we have just a really, uh, he loves, he loves this body of people, and he, he loves this community, and he's an awesome guy, so be praying. Those things like that that we have, we put them ahead so you can plan ahead, not just for your calendars, but also to be praying. He is taking his time and resources to come here, and so we want to just we want to be in tune with what God, God desires to do in Him, through Him, in us, and through us. Amen? Amen. And so when you see those opportunities, uh, make note of them and be prayerful concerning them. Amen? All right, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. I mean, sorry, Mark chapter 11. We're talking about being equipped. We're still on the series, but we're on the last letter of our of our acrostic here, the P for praying, and we did prayer in two parts. Last week in talking about praying, we talked about being the house of God. And in Mark eleven seventeen, Jesus makes this statement. It says, Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? And Jesus stood in the midst of the temple. He uttered this statement. He made this declaration from Isaiah 56, 7. And he said, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer? And we talked about how the house of God, uh, from the tabernacle to the temple, uh, Solomon's temple to the second temple in Jesus' day, those were, the scripture says, those were copies of the true. Jesus stood in the midst of the copy proclaiming the truth that his house shall be called a house of prayer. And his house isn't a building. His house isn't made by the hands of man. It's not a church or a cathedral or a temple. It is a house not made with hands, the scripture says. You are the house of God. The church, Paul said, is the house of God. And so Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer His body, the church, is the house of God in the earth today. Who is the church or what is the church? It's not a what is, it is a who is. You are the church if you are born again, if you are in Christ. Jesus came to redeem us so that we could have life in Him. There is no life anywhere else, in anything else, in anyone else, He is life, and there is only life in one place, and that's in Christ. And if you are in life, if you are in Christ, the Scripture says you are the church, you are His body, therefore you are His house. And Jesus said you are to be a house of prayer. And so we're going to talk about prayer today in the context a little bit different from being the house of God, understanding and and why that's important. Uh, we're going to talk about prayer in terms of our relationship with God today. But, but it's important for us to understand this truth that we're the house of God. His dwelling place. The dwelling place of His presence. Think about that for a moment. The presence of God dwells in you. Not part of His presence. Not just a force of nature out there floating around. A lot of people think God's a force, the Holy Spirit's some force out there. And No, He's a person and His presence. The presence of this person, the presence of the Godhead lives in you. And we are complete in Him, the Scripture says. This is what Paul said in Colossians. If you look over in, in Colossians, turn over there and let me read this scripture to you, because this is important for us to catch the revelation of, to understand the truth of. Colossians 2.10, well, in verse 9, it says, Colossians 2.9, For in Him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him. 
who is the head of all principality and power. So the scripture says you are complete in him. Why is this important? Think about this, church. The lie of the enemy from the beginning has been to convince man that there is something lacking, that we are not complete, that God is not enough. Adam and Eve are in the garden. God has has created everything, put them there as the pinnacle of his creation. Here comes the serpent, and he says, hey, you should eat of that tree there, because if you eat of that tree, you're going to know something that you don't know right now. You're going to get something you don't have right now. And the only reason God doesn't want you to eat from that tree is because he doesn't want you to know what he knows. He's holding back from you. There's something he hasn't let you in on. And the lie of the enemy was, God's not enough, basically. He's not enough. I'm lacking something. And so this lie in the beginning that, that we're lacking, that we're not complete, do you realize that believing that lie affected everything? It affects us to this day. It affects the condition of humanity. It affects the condition of the world. It affects the very condition of the creation. And it all started with one little lie that said, you're not complete. You're lacking. God is not enough. And do you realize that the enemy's tactics have not changed since the beginning? He really only has one play in his playbook, and that is deception. And the root of his deception is to get you to believe that God is not enough. And if you will believe that God is not enough, you will not believe God, will you? You will believe something else. Well, God's not enough, so I'm going to believe that this fruit will give me what I'm lacking. So you go after that fruit, only to find out that the fruit didn't give you anything. It it caused you to lose everything. And so why is it important for us to come to this revelation of the truth that we are complete in him? It's very important, and we're talking about prayer today, but this is fundamentally so very important for us to grasp that we are complete in Him. And the reason it is, because when we think that we are somehow lacking, that we are somehow not complete, that God is not enough, here's what happens. We begin to spend our life searching for those things that will make us complete. We can all probably think of people like that. Maybe... We've all, we all fall into that trap in some way or some fashion. There are some people maybe that, that are obsessed with success and they're seeking success, thinking success will give them the fulfillment, make them a complete person. I'm looking for that one person. I'm looking for that career. I'm looking for that whatever it is. And you become obsessed with chasing that thing. Why? Because you don't, you do not know the truth that you are complete in him that God is the one who will complete you there's not anything out in this world that will complete us and so we begin searching for things that we think will make us complete we become obsessed with finding those things or we become people who go from one crisis to another putting out this fire only to have to go and put this fire out. And we live from crisis to crisis to crisis, and God becomes our spiritual 911. And the only relationship I have with God is based on my crisis. And God is therefore no longer my Savior. He's not my Redeemer. He's not my best friend. You know what He is? He's my crisis manager. God becomes my crisis manager. The only problem is... I never managed to get my crisis taken care of. And the reason is because God never intended to be just our crisis manager. And God never intended us to live a life where we're chasing after fulfillment and completeness in something, anything other than Him. And if we believe that that He is not enough, that we are not complete in Him, then our prayers will turn to those things. And we may still call on God, but we're calling on God in an effort to try to gain something that we believe will make us complete. I'm sick, therefore I need my healing. God's a healer. I'm poor, therefore, God, I need some money. I'm depressed, therefore, God, I need some joy. And I'm going to tell you right now, God wants to 
to bless you. He wants you to have joy. He wants to provide for you, and he will provide for you. He, he will heal you. We've got people sitting in this congregation today that are healed by the power of God. Juanita, can we tell them the good news? We've been praying for Juanita. She went to the doctors. How, how long ago? Last Thursday, they said, you have cancer. You have cancer in your kidneys. Guess what? She went back, and they said, well, we made a mistake. You don't have cancer. Praise God. Whatever they want to believe, God has the final say. The Lord is a healer. We prayed and we believed for healing and, and the Lord healed. That man sitting right there should be dead right now according to the doctors, but he's sitting there worshiping God today, listening to my words, being with all of us. Why? Because God says, no, I'm your healer. I'm the author of life. You're not going anywhere. I don't care what man says. You're not going anywhere until I say we need to trust God for these things, but I'm telling you, here's what I'm saying. God is much more than our crisis manager. And we need to understand, whatever, regardless of what's going on in my body, what, regardless of what's going on around me, my circumstance does not determine whether I'm complete or not complete. My condition in this world, rich, poor, in good health or, or, or fighting for my health. At the height of joy and happiness or in the valley of despair. My condition does not determine whether I am complete in him or not. I am complete in him in spite of whatever condition I'm living in. Whatever condition is pressing against me. That does not define who I am. I am defined by Christ and Christ alone. And so when we live with the mindset that we are somehow incomplete, that we're lacking, then our life becomes this quest. And our life is filled with struggle. There is no fruit in that. I am working and struggling. I'm like the... I'm like the little hamster on the wheel. I'm running as fast as I can, but I'm not going anywhere. And what the enemy wants to make you think is that if you run faster, if you struggle harder, if you can just catch that thing right there, you'll, you'll find what you're looking for. Now, you'll catch that thing maybe, but you'll find that really wasn't what I was looking for. And he dangles the proverbial carrot in front of us, and we chase it all of our lives. Or we can stop and say, you know what? I think, I, I think I'm believing a lie here. That carrot will not make me complete. That thing will not make me complete. This person will not make me complete. There's only one thing, one person that can make me complete. His name is Jesus Christ. And in spite of whatever else is happening around me, I am complete in Him. Now, when we come to that reality, when we begin to, to get the revelation of that truth, that this out here doesn't determine who I am. It's only Christ. When that happens, then I'm not looking for the dream life anymore. You know, we all want our dream mate, our dream home, our dream job, our dream income, our dream this, our dream that. We all have dreams. But really, we need to wake up because it's, it's just a dream. Now, I'm not saying don't have dreams. Should we? Should we dream? Absolutely, we should dream. Should we have dreams? Yes, we should have dreams. But when our prayers focus on trying to catch the dream, trying to find the thing that will make me complete, what I'm really saying is, God is not enough. I'm not complete. And that is the lie. That is the lie the enemy wants you to believe. God no longer becomes your focus, but things become your focus. The truth is, you are complete in Him. That's the truth. Peter said, He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, through the knowledge of Christ. In Him, I am complete. He has already given me all things in Christ. So, 
I ask the question again, should we have dreams? Yes, we should have dreams. God gave you the capacity to dream. We should have a vision, but our dreams and our vision should be centered in the reality of who Christ is and in the reality of who I am in Christ. Should we live life searching for the proverbial rainbow and the proverbial pot of gold and the little leprechaun? Should we? No. Why? Because it doesn't exist. Have you ever read the statistics on the people who've won the big lotteries? I mean, the the big amounts of money. Do you know statistically, the overwhelming majority of those people, it destroys their life? And I know what you're saying right now. I, I wish I could have the chance to beat the odds. <laughs> but the reality is most people who, who, who win that, who come into that, that all of a sudden that large sum of money, it destroys their life. Why? Because they, they've pinned everything on the hopes that if I can just win the lottery, if I can just get a large sum of money, if I could just get out of my situation, they pin all their hopes on that. That becomes their dream. And, and, and the thing is, when they get hold of it, when, when they get it, they realize it, it wasn't really what I thought it was going to be. They don't realize that with that comes a whole new host of problems, a whole new set of issues you got to deal with. And they're just as unfulfilled. As a matter of fact, most of them say, if I could go back and reverse time, I would never have won this lottery. Now, I know not all of them say it, but you know the ones that, that are able to handle it? They're the ones that realize This money doesn't change anything. It's not going to change my lifestyle. It's not going to change what I do. I'm not going to go out and quit my job and and, and buy all this stuff because what does that mean? That means that I'm thinking all this stuff. If I can just get all this stuff, then, then I'll be fulfilled. I'll be complete. The reality is, no, you won't. Why? Because there's only one place I am complete, and that's in Christ. And so, should we pretend our problems don't exist? Absolutely not. They are real. Sometimes they're all too real, aren't they? So we don't go through life pretending like we don't have problems. Trials and tribulations are are real. But here's what we need to realize, that even though I might have trials and tribulations, I might be going through a fiery trial right now. That does not detract from the truth and the reality that I am complete in Him. See, the enemy wants to whisper in your ear and say, well, you know, if God was really enough, you wouldn't be struggling with this. Well, you know, if God was really as big as they say God is, then why are you dealing with this? And we begin to listen to the lies of the enemy. We begin to believe, well, you know, I have thought about that, but now that you mention it, and we begin to dwell on those things, and we begin to question we begin to think you know well maybe God isn't enough and we buy the lie don't do that because here's the reality church God works in you and God works through you even in the midst of those difficult things I'm going to say something you may disagree with me but I firmly believe this I think probably God does his greatest work in the midst of our trials and tribulations I just believe that I don't want to go through trials and tribulations. Don't get me wrong. But I'm telling you what. I believe God does His greatest work in the place where we find ourselves most dependent upon Him. I mean, when we got it all going on and we're on the mountaintop and we're flying high and we got everything we need, it's just part of our human nature that we just tend to, we just tend to kind of drift away in our minds of of just how desperately we need God because we've got everything else that can provide for us. And I'm not saying that God puts you through those things to teach you a lesson. I don't believe that either. But here's what I do believe. We live in a fallen world, and the reality is we're going to go through valleys. We're going to go through fiery trials. It's just the conditions we live in. And we can, we can resist them or we can embrace them and allow God to do a work in us that can only be done in the valley. See, there are some works that can only be done in the valley. There are some works that He cannot do on the mountaintop. And God in His grace allows us to go through the valley because there is a work 
that must be done, and it can only be done in the valley. Now, we can kick and scream and and resist going through the valley, or we can say, okay, God, I'm with you. You lead me, I'm going to follow. Your rod and your staff, they will be my comfort. I'm going to walk through this valley, but I'm going to walk through it knowing that you are with me. That you are my shepherd, and I shall not want. And the reality is this, church, God is working. Even when we don't know He is. I believe God does most of His work unknown and unseen to us. The problem is we are so driven by our senses. If I can't see it, if I can't feel it, I mean, do you realize how feeling-oriented we are? I mean, people say, I don't feel the Spirit. So does that mean the Spirit's not there because you don't feel Him? Where did He go? Where did the Spirit go? All of a sudden, you don't feel Him. Well, where did He go? He didn't go anywhere. Can He leave? He's, He's the Spirit of God. But you realize how how driven we are by our feelings. I don't feel the Spirit. Therefore, the Spirit must be there. Now, you've bought the lie of the enemy. See, if we, though, believe that we are complete in Him, I'm talking to you about prayer, and this is important. See, if if I am driven by my feelings, my feelings are going to dictate how I relate to God, how I pray, what I believe. What I think. Where my mind is. But if I can believe that he is the ever-present God. Who will never leave me. Never forsake me. Never withdraw his spirit from me. That's his promise. That his presence is in me. His spirit is in me. Unseen. Unknown. It doesn't matter. He is working. Whether you know it or not. I'm going to say this, he's working whether you believe it or not. But he wants you to believe that he is. Because he can can really accomplish a lot more through us when we're believing with him. But, But regardless, he's working. He really is, church. And so we have this... We have this thing in, in our human nature that we want to we wanna be able to understand everything. We want to be able to line everything out. We want to know why this happened, there, this happened, therefore this must be why this happened. And we want to try to connect the dots. And we want to have to be able to wrap our mind around everything. Just stop right now. You'll never wrap your mind around God. And, and faith brings us to a place... Not that we understand, but that we just trust, regardless of whether we understand or not. Can we have faith that God is working, whether we feel He's working, whether we see Him working? God's not a feeling. God's not a sensation. And what God is doing has absolutely nothing to do with your feelings and your sensations. It doesn't have anything to do with what you can see or not see. Because we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. And we begin to realize that that we are so driven by our senses, and God is saying, no, I want you to be walking by faith, not your senses. Because your senses will deceive you. They will. So prayer, prayer in its purest form is this, church, it's our communion with God. It's not that we shouldn't pray about all these things we talked about, our trials, our tribulations, we should. But those things should not consume our prayer life. Because prayer is much more than that. Prayer is our communion. It's our communion with God. The word communion means sharing in common. So this word communion has in its context and its meaning to to share. The Greek word that, that we get our English word communion from is the same Greek word we get our word fellowship from. Communion, fellowship, sharing. Our communion with God involves sharing all areas of our life. 
all areas, the good, the bad, the ugly. But it's not limited to that, and it's not limited to just us. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in all things, let your request or share your request with God, with thanksgiving. I mean, God wants us to share those things with Him. But it's not limited to that. Our communion with God is with and for others. That's why God calls us a body. It's not just me and God. Well, you know, me and God, we have our own thing going. No, you don't. You are called to be a body. You are deceived if you think you and God have your own thing going. Because God never called you to be a member separated from the body. If you are, you're dead. Cut a member, any member you want, off of your body and set it over there by itself and tell me if it's living. How long will it take before you realize that thing's not alive anymore? When did it die? It died when it got cut off from the body. So God doesn't relate to hands that aren't connected to a body. He doesn't relate to toes that aren't connected to a body. Because hands and toes and ears and eyes and and all of those things were created to be connected. To what? To a body. So our communion with God is with one another. That's why the scripture says pray for one another. But it's not limited to that either. That's why Paul says you can give your body to be burned. You can give everything you want to the poor. But if you don't have love, you don't have anything. Our communion with God should be centered in our desire for fellowship with God. Listen, in God's desire for fellowship with us. Like two lovers or two best friends or a father and a child. Have you ever wondered why God painted such vivid word pictures of relationships? I mean, We see in the scripture, we see Jesus used, I mean, it talks about us being a body. We see the relation we have with God in the context of a body. We are a bride. Jesus is our bridegroom. We see clearly, vividly, the connotation of a bride and his bridegroom, that relationship we have with God. Jesus said that I'm a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He he gave us the, the picture of a relationship of two friends of a father and a child. I mean, he, he used every form of relationship to show us, to help us understand that it's all rooted where? In him, in our relationship with him. You ever wondered why God put the Song of Solomon in the scripture? You know, Madeline Murray O'Hare used to say the Bible contained pornography. That was one of her big things. The Bible is X-rated. Do you know if you read the Song of Solomon, you understand what it's saying? It's pretty graphic. It's pretty erotic. Why do you think God put that in there? Because God wants us to understand the love that he has for us and the relationship he desires with us. Our greatest desire for fellowship or communion with God should be simply to know Him. It's to know Him. Not just read another book about Him, but know. You know, you can read books about a person. You can read every biography, autobiography about a person, but you will still not know that person until you know that person, until you have a relationship with that person. You might know a whole lot of information about that person, you might even know things about that person that, that people that that person's in relationship with. Do you know you could have facts and knowledge of things that maybe someone very close to them does not have, but that doesn't mean you know them. It means you just know a whole lot about them. There's a lot of people that know a whole lot about God because they read a bunch of books and they have a bunch of knowledge, but that's vastly different than knowing him. And God didn't just give us the scripture so that we could have a bunch of information about him. He gave us the scripture. More importantly, he gave us his spirit so that we could know him. So that we could be in relationship with him. Prayer is not technical. It is relational. It is our shared fellowship with God. 
I'm going to say that again. Prayer is not technical, but we want to make it technical. Because we're humans and we want a formula and a method and a list and a cut and dried. This is how it needs to happen. We want a practical application. You show me how I, I want a blueprint. I want a plan. Show me how I need to do this. You've just made it technical and it was never meant to be technical. It's relational. God doesn't want to have a technical relationship with us. He wants to have a personal relationship with us. He doesn't want you to just be people who have a bunch of information and a bunch of knowledge about him. He wants you to know him as he knows you. So prayer is not technical, it's relational. There is no formula. There is no method or list that you can follow in order to know somebody. I mean, husbands, wives, is that how you came to... Be with the one you're with? Did you carry a list around and a formula around and you apply the formula to to every person until it finally worked? No. And I'm not saying you you can go read books right now. You go buy books on relationship. And I'm not knocking books on relationship. But you can read all the books on relationship you want. And if you still don't have a relationship with that person, (laughs) you've just wasted a bunch of time and money. You'd have been much better spent if you'd have just spent some time with that person. What, what is it that's required? If it's not a formula, a method, a list, and we want all that. We, you know, we want our prayer life, we formulate it. We, we make it methodical. We got lists for everything, and I'm not against lists. But I'm saying, first and foremost, it's a relationship. Now, now think about this. What is required? When we talk about relationship, what's required? Desire. Tell me the formula for desire. Tell me the method for desire. It's not. It's, it's something that's mystical. It's something that's, that's just, it's just built into us. And we have desires for all kinds of things. What formula did you use to have a desire for ice cream? What method was it you used to come to desire chocolate cake? Oh, I had some good chocolate cake this morning. Trish baked me a chocolate cake for my birthday, and we had it at the Bible study. See, if you'd have come to the Bible study this morning, you could have got hot fresh from scratch chocolate cake see now I didn't read a book to find out how I could create a desire for chocolate cake matter of fact when I walked in I didn't know that chocolate cake was going to be there but when I walked in and I turned the corner and I saw that cake sitting on that table I I didn't have to figure out how I was going to desire that cake I mean boom it was right there I knew I was going to cut a piece and eat a piece and, and love every last morsel of it. The desire was just there. I didn't have to learn how to desire it. Listen, what's required? It's desire. That a desire to be with them, to listen to them, to interact with them, to give ourselves to them. Why? All for the sheer joy of sharing with them and knowing them. That's how we came to... To to be with the people we love, that's how we do our relationships with our children, with our best friends, with the people we love to be with. We didn't read a book how to figure that out. That desire was just there. It's something inherent in us. It's the same way with God. God wants you to to desire to be with Him, to listen to Him, to interact with Him, to give yourself over to Him. Why? All for the sheer joy of knowing Him and and, and sharing with Him. Prayer should begin in the joy of sharing with and knowing God. You begin to to see if, if, if my prayer life is only about trying to get what I perceive that I need, where is the joy in that? Where is the fulfillment, the sharing that, that is to go back and forth? God created us not because he had to, but because he desired to. Because he chose to love us. And from the very beginning, listen church, from the very beginning, since he formed us and breathed the breath of life into us, his heart was to share his life with us. He did it for the sheer joy that we could have relationship. That we could have fellowship. That we could have communion together. This is the essence of prayer. It is. 
How do we come to this place of relationship, of growing in this relationship? I mean, our prayers, they need to be birthed out of relationship. That means we need to come to know and have the heart of Christ. Why? Because when we know his heart, we're going to know his desire. And when my heart and my desire is one with his heart and his desire, then, then, then that's, what, that's what our prayers will be. Our prayers, our relationship will be born out of that oneness, that unity of heart, that unity of mind and will and desire. He has given us his word. His word is the greatest tool that we have. Listen, the Holy Spirit is called our helper. The Holy Spirit is the greatest helper that we have. For what? For growing in the knowledge of God, of coming to know, to grow to know his heart and his mind. He's given us his word as a tool. The Holy Spirit is our helper. We are his body. We are the house of God. We are the greatest expression of his life in all creation. Do you realize that? As glorious as the heavens are. Man, have you seen the night sky the last few days? I, I just stand in wonder. It just, it, I love to look at the night sky. As glorious as his creation is, the greatest expression of his life is still and will always be his body. It will be us. The redeemed. Because in nothing else has he chosen to make his life known in the same way that he has chosen to make himself known through us. Those are great tools. The Holy Spirit's a great helper. But, but look, look at this. James 5, 16 through 18. It says, The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature with passions like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. He prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Our relationship with God grows more intimate. As our relationship with God grows more intimate, our prayers grow more powerful. What do I mean by that? This, this, this term, effective, fervent, it's not two words there. It's, it's, a, it's two English words to describe one word. And it's the same word we get our word energy from. If, if, if you can go by a, you may have, maybe you have a concordance. Look up, look up this effective fervent in a concordance. And you'll see that it, the root of it is the word that we get our word energy from. The NIV, I think, uh, 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 translates it this way, the effective and powerful prayer. Why? Because there's, there is power associated with this concept of effective, fervent prayer. Energy. Now, now there's two words for power in the Bible that, that come to mind. There's one, one word that speaks of power like a stick of dynamite or an atomic bomb. Okay? <clears throat> Do you realize how much power there is in an atomic bomb? There's lots of power. The only problem with atomic bombs, it's like one giant blast, boom. Lots of power, but, but when that power has been released, it, it just leaves a bunch of destruction. But now, the power that, that is talked about here, the power of prayer is more like the power you would find in, a, in an energy plant, in a power plant. There, there may be more power in an atomic bomb than in any moment the power coming from an energy plant. But one is destructive and one is very beneficial. And one is a continuous flow, energy, power. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. God has put his spirit in us. His power is in us. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Who is a righteous man? Is it a man who never makes mistakes? No. 
Who is our righteousness? Christ is. A righteous man is a man who is in Christ. A righteous man is a man who has the presence of God dwelling in him. The spirit of God dwelling in him because he is in Christ. So that same spirit that's dwelling in me, what does it do? It enables me to pray in a way. Is it really my power, my energy? No. You see this, see this cord over here? There's, do you believe there's power, there's energy flowing through this? How about this right here? See this cord right here? Who believes there's power and energy flowing through that? You all do. You believe there is now? No? Who said no? Come bite that cord. Come bite it and tell me if there's not power and energy flowing in it. It absolutely is. But, but because we can't see the light burning, does that mean the power and the energy is not there? No, it's there. You know where that power and energy come from? So there's some power plant somewhere sending energy that's ultimately ending up at this lamp so that I can press this button and poof, there's the energy, there's the power. God has put an energy, a power, His Spirit in you. And He wants to be able to to cause that power to flow through you. As I grow in the knowledge of Christ, as I grow in my relationship to Christ, as my relationship becomes more intimate, when I realize He is everything, I am complete in Him. Hey, what about that report from the doctor? Yeah, I know about that. I'm praying about that. But you know what? I am complete in him. What about that financial storm you're going through? Yeah, I know about that. I'm praying about that. But, but I am complete in him. What about that person that just said that to you that was pretty degrading? Yeah, I know. I'm going to pray for that person. But the reality is I'm complete in him. I'm not lacking anything. That person may perceive lack in me or this situation may not be real pleasant right now, but but those things don't define who I am. Christ defines who I am. And I'm called to be in relationship with Him. What is prayer? Prayer is our relationship. It's our communion with God out of the knowledge of who He is in me and who I am in Him. And so our prayers become more powerful and effective as we grow in our relationship with God through the knowledge of God. Because I realize, you know, I'm I'm just like that cord right there. You know, that that cord provides power right to where it's supposed to be. Somebody created that cord to provide power to that lamp. The cord never says, I don't want to power the lamp, I want to power the... The, the guitar, I want to power the, the amplifier. No, the cord powers the lamp because that's what it's created to power. You were created for a purpose. You were created to allow the power of God to flow through you. It's not your power. You really, if the truth be known, we really don't have any say in the matter. If we're crucified with Him, because it's not us who live anymore, it's Christ who lives in us. And the question is, as we come into relationship with Him, are we submitted to Him? Are we submitted to His will? Can I submit myself and just be a cord that lights a lamp if that's what God wants to do with me? Can I believe that I can lay hands on someone and God could actually heal them through my prayer? You better believe you can. My power didn't heal them. Just like that cord, that cord doesn't make that lamp burn. It's the power flowing through that cord wherever the power's coming from if they cut the power off at the source that cord and every other cord in this building would stop working and we would go black nothing wrong with the cord is there because it wasn't the cord that made it burn to begin with it was the source of the power flowing through it it's not you that heals anybody it's not you that delivers anybody it's the power flowing through through you but if you buy the lie of the enemy and the enemy can make you think that you're somehow incomplete if he can make you think that you're broken and you're not going to work then you're not going to let that power flow through you the way God desires for it to flow through you 
Remember I said the word of God is the greatest tool that we have and the Holy Spirit is our greatest helper. Think about it, church. We have the greatest tool. We have the greatest helper. But what we lack is the very thing God desires most. It's an intimate and powerful relationship with him through prayer. Now, I, want, I left you with something on the back of your message guide here. Because I, I know what a lot of people, you know, when we talk about prayer, there's just something in us, you know, we could have talked about all the do's and don'ts of prayer. Here's how you should pray. Because we, we really, we want that, for, where's the practical application, Pastor Jeff? See, there we go trying to wrap our carnal mind around things. We always have to have a practical application. We always need a formula, a method, a something. Do we really? You are the practical application. Do you know what strikes me about Jesus? I, th- I was thinking about this. How vague Jesus was in so much of what he said. Do you realize that there's a lot of detail Jesus left out in a lot of things? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, have you ever thought about everything Jesus didn't say? I mean, you think about all that Jesus said, and then think about all the things he could have said in relation to all that he did say. And do you realize that Jesus left a lot of detail out? You know why I believe he did that? Because he realized it wasn't necessary for it to be there. Why? Because he said, I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's the one that's going to give you the detail. But but Jesus, can, can you just give us the formula for this before you leave? No, no, just don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit, he'll tell you what you need to know. Well, what if he doesn't tell us? Then you didn't need to know it. Oh, we hate that, don't we? <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? Well, why won't God tell me? Because you don't need to know. Can it be that simple? Well, I must have a demon. Maybe you just don't need to know. Well, I must have sin in my life. Maybe you just don't need to know. Maybe God has a real good reason why he's not telling you everything that you want to know. Maybe there's a reason God's not giving you all the detail and lining everything out. You know why? Because we're so carnal. We're so human. We're so fleshly. We, we want to wrap our mind around everything. And God says, where is the faith in that? If you can figure it all out, if you can, if you can put, a, put it to a flow chart and, and, and put it to a method and a formula, where is the faith in that? Do you know mathematics is very... Who likes math? Huh, not very many people. My wife loves math. You, you, math is very logical. Do you know math takes no faith? I mean, there are laws and formulas, and, and, and there's never a question of how it's going to come out. It can only come out one way because that's the way it has to be. And so we kind of like that. We want a formula for it. God says, no, I'm not going to give you a formula. I didn't call you to walk by formulas. I called you to walk by faith. So I could give you a list of do's and don'ts for prayer, a formula from scriptures, or or, or from an expert on prayer. There's lots of books on prayer. And I'm not saying don't read books on prayer, but I'm saying this. The most important thing, the most effective and the most powerful thing I believe you can do is look to the Holy Spirit, who is the expert. Do you realize there's, there's one book on prayer that's been written that is the most important book? It's this book right here. There's one expert on prayer that that exceeds all the rest put together. He is the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't give us a lot of detail about a lot of things because he sent the expert to you and to me. And I believe the most powerful thing we can do is to go to the Holy Spirit because he is the one that will lead us. He's the one that will lead us to the depths of prayer in the depths of relationship with God. And I want to leave you with this thought. I want you to think about Abraham and I want you to think about Moses. Do you realize that Abraham and Moses didn't have a Bible? They didn't have family bookstore. They didn't have Lifeway. 
They didn't have Barnes & Noble. They didn't have Amazon.com. They didn't even have the Internet. They didn't have a concordance. They didn't know Greek at that time because it didn't exist. <laughs> you know what? You know what else? They didn't even have the Holy Spirit. But look what we have today. We have the living word and the written word. And we have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. Why are we running to everything and everyone else to try to hear from God when we have the very thing we absolutely need? God has given us everything to come into relationship with him. See, what did Abraham had? He had a relationship with God. What did Moses have? He had a relationship with God. Did they have a list and a formula and a method to develop that? Absolutely not. They encountered God, and they embraced and they desired the relationship. And God led them right to, to, to what he wanted them to do. And they heard and they obeyed. And I'm telling you, church, it's no different for us today. Don't get hung up on all these things and miss the main point and the main thing. What God desires through prayer is a relationship with us. He knows how to meet your needs. He knows how to get you through the valley. He knows everything. Do you trust him? And will you avail yourself and give yourself over and come into a communion, a sharing, a fellowship with God that will take you to the depths of relationship and the depths of prayer? Will you? That is what God wants. Amen? Let's all stand. If you're here today and you desire prayer, I want you to come and, and we will pray for you. I'd like to...